Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hi, Shah. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you very much and happy to be here. Fantastic. Where in the world are you? I am actually in Pound Ridge, New York. Uh, It's in Westchester. It's an hour up from New York City. Is that your permanent home? Is that where you live full time? This is my permanent home and where I live full time, yes. So you've had quite an interesting career, right? I mean, you've lived all over the world, worked in Silicon Valley. You're living in Westchester now. What made you choose the U.S. as your base operations? Uh, That's a long story. I actually... uh, came originally to the to North America after a girl that was living in Montreal lived there for six months and yeah. uh, that that did not work but on one of my trips to New York City from Montreal I met a friend who uh, was in the city working and he said you should that I should come here so I came and uh I started to live in New York. I lived in New York City for a little while. I worked, and then I decided I'm going to go to school in New York. Mm-hmm. So I put myself into business school and worked full time. Went to business school full time and met uh, Marnie, my wife. Yeah. And uh, and then we got married basically in 11 months, and uh, that was 28 years ago. So wow, 28 years you've been me. living in New York. 20, um, I've been living in New York for probably more like 33 years with, uh, with something like six years in between that I moved to Florida and then back to New York. Wow. So you actually, you've worked on international issues with major companies, but you've been fairly localized in where you've resided. Yes. So this is interesting. So I thought of many things we could discuss about the interesting work you're doing, but I think a good place is to start off with a very simple question, which you could have, which you, I'm sure you'd have a good perspective on. Given everything that's happening in the world, how much progress we're making, how the society is developing, we're obviously better off than we were 20 years ago. Why is it that so many employees seem more unhappy today than before? That's an excellent question and a question that I often think about and talk about. Did technology really made us better? And the question is, in some ways, and the answer is some ways completely, it's, it made the world smaller, right? I can have this call with you and you're on the other side of the country. Yes. And actually, you can see me and talk to me at the same time as if I was next to you. Yes. Uh, which is definitely makes it better for us as human beings to create a a one world society, which we are striving to create. But it also created an expectation for people to always be on top of communication and always be ready to answer every question and ready to work. And it created an expectation from people and and employees that their people are going to work 24-7. I'm working with a lot of companies that uh, the default the default culture in their companies is that everybody's available all the time and everybody needs to be available all the time and everybody needs to do the work on the time. And if 
God forbid you don't ex you answer my text in three minutes, I'm going to text you again and text you again and text you again, <laughs> which then creates a very, in my opinion, negative culture mm -hmm. of, of workaholism and people burning it, the candles from both sides and people actually burning out. And that's, that's not a good thing. People need in the work that I do and the work that I, what I teach people, people need to have a balanced life or let's call it a harmonious life where all their concerns and all their dreams and all their objectives are being fulfilled. When we do that, when we live a balanced life, when our family life, yeah. our community life, our uh, hobby life, our uh, wealth and health life is being all fulfilled, we do better. We actually perform in a higher level when we are we have a balanced life with full full of integrity. Yeah, that's very well said. So let's unpack that a little bit, right? Yeah. You have these very wealthy lawyers, management consultants, investment bankers, tech employees, and so on who are earning well. They they have good lives. They live in wonderful homes good family, send their kids to good schools. They've made the choice to be plugged in. Why have they made that choice? Because it's not forced on them. Well, they, I don't know if they made the choice, did they? Most well, that's the question. Did choice. they make the choice? I, they made the choice subconsciously. So human beings' brain take 11 million points of data a second in. Yeah. 11 million. I didn't, it's not my, I didn't come up with it. A, guy, a much smarter person than me came up with it. A guy by the name of Timothy Wilson, who is, who teaches at UVA. And he's one, one of the forefathers of conscious subconscious theory. Yeah. And he claims that the human being's brain take 11 million points of, of data a second into it. And that data is being processed by your brain and your brain makes decisions for you because your conscious brain the conscious one, the one that you actually hear and understand can only process 40 points of data a second. So most of us are make decision that we don't know we make on a minute by minute basis. And those decisions are based on our personal operating system. As human being, we have an operating system and our operating system comes from our traits that we get from our lineage, our hardwired DNA programming, and the experiences we had in our life that translate into certain beliefs and certain theories we develop on life. Oh, I like that. Those traits, beliefs, and theories guide every conversation we have with ourselves, conscious or subconscious, and guide every decisions we, we make and guides every action we take and guides every result we have. So if somebody is working 24-7, you have to ask yourself, did they actually consciously made that decision to do that? Or yes. did they just get there because they're workaholics, they have a trait of hardworking, they're, you know, they want to make a difference or whatever the trait that leads them to actually behave in that way and do they know the consequences of the work, what they're doing? And I found in many, many cases, the answers are no and no. Yeah, that's they don't true. Know the, yeah. 
That's very true. I mean, sorry to cut you off there. I thought you had finished speaking. No, no problem. What you say makes perfect sense. If I look at my own career, I just expected that I'd have to go to university, a good university, work very hard. And the only options I had left open for myself was to go into a professional services career, either in investment banking or management consulting. And I had was not considering anything else. I saw it as completely normal to work long hours every day, every weekend. No other path was on the table. And even if I look where I live now, which is a very beautiful part of the world, I think I'm the only person who goes for a walk during the day. Everyone else is just busy. And I know most of these people. They, they are quite wealthy, but in their minds, they feel they have to keep working hard just to keep up. And it's as if they're pre-programmed. This is the belief they have. But they're not open to entertain other things. If the belief is what drives us, and I totally agree with you on that, why is it so many people tend to have the same belief? Is there something in the water? Well, they believe that that's the only option. So we've got this generation of very smart people. I'm going to pick on the tech sector mainly because it's well known. Sure, sure. But if you look at the tech sector, I know a lot of people there were not happy. Yeah. But they, they put up with the hours, which they put up with the salary. It's very good salary. And the career advancement that they believe comes with the decisions they've made. But how is it an entire sector can all be going down the same path? Surely we'd see some differentiation with some companies operating with a different culture and so on. Or do you feel that there is no difference? Can you ask the question again? I don't know if I got the question. Don't worry. I'll ask the question again. So everyone that I see talk to and read about with this, the Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, everyone seems to have the same belief that they have to make the choice to be plugged in 24 hours to advance. Yes. How is it possible that so many people, what seems like the vast majority of people have this singular self-defeating belief? They, most people look at their idols or yes. the stories about their idols and create their own stories about those idols. And most people's interpretation is if he's that successful or she's that successful, they must have worked around the clock. Or to me, for me to get there, I must work around the clock. I talked about it with a client today and about how the stories we have about other people's success is completely made up. And we really don't know the truth. That right? is true. And we think we do, and therefore we create a theory or belief that, oh, if I need to be like Jeff Bezos, I mm -hmm. need to, he must have worked around the clock because otherwise, how would he get to where he got? Yes. And the truth is, you don't know how Jeff Bezos did it. He might have worked two hours a day, right? We in our company believe in one fundamental premise, that happy people have happy results. This is the handle. And, yeah, at the handout group. We believe that happy people have happy results. Mm -hmm. And if people are happy, proud, and inspired and of who they are in their lives, in every aspect of their lives, their results actually grow exponentially. The question is, what makes you, as an individual, happy, proud, and inspired? How do you get there? And the second thing, the second answer about that is, how you get to be happy, proud, inspired is by getting connected to your dreams, telling the truth about your dreams and working on your dreams. Yeah. And if your dream is to be working 24 hours, then go for it. That's awesome. But if your dream is to work, make money, have a great family, see great places around the world, eat good food, 
and have good friends, then we need to, you need to work on everything. And working 24-7 is not going to make it happen. And that the fact that that's the fact. And for each one of us, is completely different. Completely different. Yes, but what you say is absolutely true. But if you look at the way people go through high school, university, MBA programs, and so on, I don't think at yeah. any stage they're asked that question about what makes you happy and how do you build a life and a career around what makes you happy. It's, it's a given almost that you've got to learn some technical skills, you've got to go into the workforce, make money, and you'll be happy, which is obviously wrong. Right. That's why we created the Handel Group, because we really believe that if you put that into organizations and people and companies and schools, we will do better as a society. So we, uh, unlike many companies like ours, like management consulting or, or coaching company, have started an education division uh, like a year into our existence. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been teaching this method about happy, being happy and connecting to your dreams in over 55 universities, including Harvard, uh, MIT, Yale, NYU, Columbia, Stanford, London School of Economics, Nova School of Technology in, in Portugal, and many, many other schools. And then in the last few years, have got into high school, middle school, lower school, lower level schools, and uh, special programs. We even launched a not-for-profit so we can do more work with education. Because we believe that when you teach people about their dreams and being happy, people get it. Yes. Really get it. We worked with people. We taught the, a few, the few first classes in MIT. I remember that there were people there that were doing their PhD in MIT and basically through this course started asking themselves the question, am I here for myself or if, am I here because my parents expect me to? And that was a revelation for them. That's right? like the most profound so, and fundamental question to ask yourself. Who are you and what do you want? Why are you on this world? Yes, exactly. Switching gears just a little bit, right? Because it's an interesting conversation, but I want to unpack a more deeper meaning here. If you look at society today, there is an obsession with volume over value. And let me explain what that means before I get to my question. If you gave the average person an option between having three pizzas or one very good pizza, most people will pick three pizzas. If you tell someone, hey, you have a chance to work with a renowned teacher like yourself, for example, you can have 10 sessions with him or her, as the case may be, or one very good session. Most people will pick 10. My question is, is it not possible that with this inability to understand value, people like to work harder and longer because they think they create more value when they actually are doing the opposite? Of course. I think that people think that if they work harder, they'll be more successful. They don't get that if they actually work in a better way, they feel they will be more successful. A lot of people have a lack of trust that other people would do the work that they, they need to do, or yeah. uh, they do it as good as them. And they think they need to do everything themselves. The key component is in organizations is can you create a culture and a yeah. team that will take care of everything, all the needs that the company needs versus individuals that will do the work. The most successful sports team in the history of sports is the New Zealand All Blacks. 
and the New Zealand All Blacks have 87% winning in mm-hmm. the last 20 years. And that was not because of one person or yes. certain people. It was, it was because they have created the best team culture in the world. And even through generations, like 20 years ago today, there's different people. The culture sustained itself. The teamwork sustained itself to still win way more than anybody else. And that's what we talk about when we talk about organizations or team or groups of people. Teams' performance create exponential growth. Individual performance creates marginal growth. The example of the New Zealand All Blacks is actually a very good example, and I'm happy you brought it up. Because often when, when I speak to executives and CEOs or you know, chairmen and so on, when we get to the discussion of culture and values, right, they always assume that by having a stronger culture and having deeper values, the valuation of the company in the stock market is going to increase somehow. But if you look at the example of the New Zealand All Blacks, they're the most successful sports team in history, yes but they're not the wealthiest franchise. They've made that trade-off. For them, it was more important to keep their culture and win than to become the wealthiest franchise. But for many companies and many individuals, when you talk about culture and values, they don't necessarily see the trade-off where they're going to say, okay, we're going to be a more stable, resilient, happy organization, but we may be willing to trade off some of the value we'll create. Is that a discussion that you have with companies and with clients? The New Zealand All Blacks was never designed to be a wealthy team. Well, exactly. That's my point. They weren't designed that way. But, yeah. but my point and is that everyone else that I've spoken to, they always see that if you have a strong culture, it's going to lead to profits. Is there a situation whereby you counsel people that maybe the culture is more important than the profits and the trade-off should be made, even if they could design it another way? Well, I believe that you can design a culture that is both of a successful culture that, that provides teamwork and wealthy. You can eat the cake and have it too, but you need to design it. I, I think that most organization and most team have what we call, what I call a default culture. A culture was created uh, when the company was started and nobody have ever asked themselves the question, is that the right culture? That's right. That's and, a good point, actually. And if you really want everything, you can have everything. So I'll give you an example. And I'll give you an example by about a client of mine. Yes, that'll be good. So I have a client who came to me and she was an investor. And she hated the investment business. And she said she wanted out because she wanted to start her own company. And I said, great, that's your dream. Let's go do it. And then I start working with her and really creating the company. But I said, but on the, in the meantime, what we're going to do is we're going to make you a great investor while you're creating your company. So when you launch your company, you can actually sponsor your own company with your money, the money you make versus going to venture capital or private equity to help you launch the company. She yeah. said, that was a great, that's a great idea. Let's do it. To make a long story short, not only she became a great investor, she got promoted to a partner and she also launched her own uh, company, her own startup by 
creating a great support team that helps her do all the stuff so she doesn't have to send, spend time running the startup. So yeah. she's, she's eating the cake and having it too. You can do it with every organization. You can design a culture. If you design a culture that is connected, aligned, and profitable, you can make that happen. I believe that you can design anything you want and you can author anything you want and make it true. It's about not letting yourself fall off the track that you're doing it, not letting your, your negative inner dialogue, your negative theories and your negative beliefs to stop you from what you're doing. And in order to do this, for instance, I work with those CEOs to get, continue to push them to think about their dreams, to continuously do the work that they need about their dream, to continue run the cultures that allow them to be successful. Because otherwise, we get in our own way a lot of the time. Team, yeah. so, so we need to create that capacity and that ability to move forward. I like that. So now when you are working with companies or individuals, as you pointed out, what questions should the leader of a company or an individual ask him or herself to understand the, the current culture? Is there any triggers, any set of questions that someone could internalize and spend some time thinking about? Of course. The, the question that I love to ask is, yeah. as CEO of Hendel, I like to ask my people, what sucks about me? What, what am I doing that's not working? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What am I doing that's not working? And what am I doing that could be improved? How could I be a better leader? How could be I be a better person? How could you? How could I improve my abilities to make you happy? Right. And I think it's one of the most fun and fundamental conversation that any leader could have with themselves. Yes. Very personal. Right. Or with other people. Right. Because it really gives you and allow people to tell you the truth. Because it really gives you the gaps that you have in your performance and the gaps you have in the organization that you can feel. And if you do a cultural assessment and you do a, or a personal assessment on yourself and you get people to really tell the truth, they will tell you what's working and what's not working. They will tell you where are the gaps. They will tell you what you need to fix for them. And then if you go and fix that, then you have what you want. Like this. This, is, this is the nicest definition of understanding culture that I've seen, because typically when I ask any leader of a company or business unit, what is your culture and how do you think about it? They talk in very vague group terms that we have an open culture. We have an entrepreneurial culture. But the way you flipped it around is that you said, OK, let's start with the leader and see how they interact with their people, because by and large, that's going to maybe not set the culture for the company, but that's the part you can influence and you do that step by step. Is that the way you're thinking about it? Yeah. Culture cre is, cre is designed and created at the top and then implemented down to the bottom. Uh, the leader sets up the, the company's culture, the, the way the leader interacts, the way the leader talks, the way the leaders compensate people, the way you reward people, all of that is a creates a certain culture and a certain behavior in the organization that is either helping the organization grow or preventing the organization from growing. And that's important because every leader that I, at least that I know, wants their organization to do better. Yeah. And if they need the organization to do better, they need to create the right culture and the right teamwork in their 
organizations to allow for that to allow for that exponential growth to allow for that for the company to go to the next level what has been your experience or do you have examples whereby a leader has asked these questions and the feedback they received was quite painful in the fact that it was hard for them to implement it how does a leader take that feedback because if you ask for the feedback and you don't do anything with it you lose the trust of your team but what happens in the situation where the feedback is quite painful how does a leader reconcile that that's a great question because it's always painful yeah. most of the time and it's not a bad thing it's just the way it is because the world is moving too fast for companies to adopt yes and the speed of technology the speed of communication the speed of everything the speed the speed of evolution keeps everybody in as you said in the beginning the people think that they need to work harder and harder and harder to keep up with the pace and companies need to continuously evolve with the world and that's hard to do so there's always gaps no matter what you do yeah but if you start understanding that the gaps are not don't make you bad or don't make you wrong or don't yes. make the situation better wrong right and it's just the way life is and as leaders our job is to con- continuously evolve ourselves yeah and continuously evolve our company so we allow for the for what it needs and the the better we do with that the more successful we're going to be that's great i know companies that currently are doing i'm working with a company right now that we have done a 360 reviews for all the people all the leaders in the company and we actually had a conversation about those 360 60 and we start looking at like where do people stand and what are the where can they develop themselves where can they allow themselves to grow where are they good and what are they doing not so good and the leaders of that that company actually decided that this is going to be either a week, a month a yearly occasion or even better than a yearly occasion maybe every 6 months to do that because the value of really understanding the gaps of where you need to be and where you in order to grow and where people need to do, to do what people need to do to grow themselves and to evolve themselves is high that value is high and if you if yeah. you actually do the work and you listen to the result you actually take the result seriously and that, you don't wave them off and say ah that's not going to happen or ah that's not important yeah. right you will do the right work you will get yourself there it's hard but it's easy and if you're not willing to do this then there is a chance there is a chance that you're going to stop your growth and i think that's important i think people can put it into like a habit of doing something constantly evaluating how they're doing as a culture how they're doing as a company how they're doing as leaders and implement those results the example you gave is very telling because we're thinking of the work we do with clients most of the time when we have these leadership discussions with clients and we ask similar questions invariably i find leaders assume the development gap is going to be something easy to fix or something technical in nature but as they progress in their careers it's usually something a soft skill that they need to develop and when you're telling someone who grew up through the ranks with an mba financial modeling managing teams during mnas and so on yeah. that their gap now is that they have to learn how to work with the creative types 
as opposed to financial modeling, for them, it's an overwhelming gap that they're not even sure they want to build their careers in this way. And, and what you're saying is very, very true. If they don't make that transition, there's a chance it will end their careers. Yes, absolutely. You know, we believe that uh, there's three level of what we call integrity in, in life or structures, three level of structures, three structures. One is called physical. Physical integrity is required for every result to happen. So for instance, if you want to get from Los Angeles to New York to visit me, you need a form of transportation. If you don't have a form of transportation, the likelihood you can, that you're going to get here is very low. That's physical integrity, that you need something to make something happen. You need financial models to understand financial data. Great. But that's only one. And by the way, the most simple form or, or, or level of integrity. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, physical, physical integrity is necessary and required for a result to happen. But, not, but it's not everything. The second, the second level is called emotional integrity. What's emotional integrity? Emotional integrity can be actually said as literally how you feel about everything. So if you had the car or the plane ticket to come and visit in New York, the second question is, do you care? You even want to visit New York. That's, it. That's an important question. Yeah. You haven't anything to do with New York. Like, do you feel like, oh my God, I'm excited to go to New York. Or you're like, oh, I don't want to go to New York. Because if the emotional integrity doesn't exist, the likelihood that you utilize the physical integrity reduces get reduced. Yes. If you don't like me or you don't trust me or you're afraid of me, the likelihood is that you're going to talk to me is going down and down and down and down and therefore you will not communicate with me. Yes. The, so emotional integrity is extremely important. And we found places where ink, like high level of emotional integrity actually covers for the gap in physical integrity. So if you don't have necessarily some tools to do, to do something, because you're so excited about it, because you're so involved in doing that and happy about doing it, you will find different ways to get it done, even if you don't have the tools. So emotional integrity is really sits on top of physical integrity and is required for you in order to for you to implement or use the physical integrity to produce the result. So that's the second level. The third level of integrity is the spiritual integrity. So, and I don't mean spiritual like woo-woo. I mean spiritual from two perspectives. Spiritual perspective, from spiritual I mean, one is literally the energy that somebody has or a team has or a company has. And the energy of somebody or energy of a team or energy of a company is basically comes from what we talked about before, the theories and the beliefs of of that company or that individual. Your theories on your beliefs show up as inner dialogue, thoughts in your head. Those thoughts in your head literally have energy. You can sometimes you can feel them when people go, you know, you can sometimes see people and you know exactly what they think. Now, not often, but sometimes. And that is because there is something going on there. 
and and if your beliefs and theories don't match your goals and objectives and what in your dreams and your beliefs and theories don't match what you do or how you feel then you're going to have a problem so creating an alignment between your spiritual emotional and physical integrity whether it's in a for a person for organization for a team creates increase in performance i'll give you an example for that if you don't mind sure please a few years ago i worked with a chemical company uh the the evp of that chemical company it was a two billion dollar chemical company and the evp of that chemical company has been a friend and a client for many years and he calls me in uh at the end of september that year and he says sheer you need to help me and i said okay what what's going on and he says I have my global, global sales team was responsible for a billion dollars in sales for me is 25% behind their targets, which means that in October 1st, they will be at their April, uh, at their second quarter, it's, it's at their June target. They will, they, at June numbers, they would not. And even if they made the last quarter, the target of the last quarter, they will still finish 25% behind. So I'm worried because I'm about to sell the company. And if I don't produce my sales at the end of the year, I will have to sell the company for a discount. Can you help? Right? So the first thing I, you know, I said, why didn't you come to me three months ago? You knew that the situation was fixed three months ago. That would be easy. But I said, here it is. You have to tell you have to do everything I tell you and you can't say no if you say no I'm not taking the job and he said done so I, I worked with his team and what we've done is we aligned the the global sales team we aligned the team on a new game we aligned the team on different set of actions and different how they're going to manage and we aligned the team on their theories regarding their ability to produce the results and And by the end of the year, although we missed the target by 1%, we got 49% increase in sales. And the company sold for full value. What is the underlying thing that you did different that they weren't doing? What I, did I do different that they didn't do? Yes. Excellent question. The first thing, I created a team of a group of people that weren't a team. So when I, when I started working with the organization, there were some things that actually touches a lot of the things we talked about before. The first thing was they are, were not working as a team. They were working as individuals trying to make the targets. Yes. And each one of them in their own lane, not sharing, not working together, not, not helping each other and thinking that they can make it. Well, some of them were successful and made their targets and some, some of them did not make their targets. But as a team, so when I created them as a team, they were... really helped each other and became a team to work together to fulfill on the on the on the objectives the second is they had a their boss the vp was trying to do everything himself he was trying to do his people's work because he didn't trust them yeah so i told him to stop working i told him to start empowering i told him to go and create relationship with all these managers mm-hmm. who manage their his their teams I said if and I put him on a consequence that if he does any work for anybody he had a consequence to pay and therefore he stopped helping stop doing their job he had to empower them and trust them he had to create a team 
And then we created a new game. And the new game was by the end of the year, we made our target. Everybody got a job in the new company that just bought them and a bonus. And we went for it. And we got together. We on a, on a weekly basis, we did a global, a global call. I also got them, got them to work on an area in their lives that were not, that was taking them down. So one person was working on their marriage. One person was working on their relationship with their kid. One person was working on losing weight. One person was working on her relationship with her husband. Every person took on a personal project that was getting in their way. And we worked as a team to even resolve those issues. And by the end of the year, they made their targets. And by the way, the targets didn't come out out of just like pipeline sales. It came out of nowhere. When you create integrity, the world gives you back what you need. And you don't know where where it's going to come from. But when a company is in integrity, when an organization is in integrity, when a team is in integrity, they get results from nowhere without even thinking about them because there's, there is actually what I call an energy suck into, the, into, that, in the, into that team or company. The, the energy comes in and the world reward you. And that's what happened. They got, they got a contract from British Petroleum that they didn't expect and they never had before, which was hundreds of millions, almost hundreds of millions of dollars. And they made their target. You know, when you explain this, it, it always, any good idea always sounds simple when you explain it, even though it's not simple because, you know, you and I know it's every company suffers from this problem. You go to any company in the world and you're going to find very capable teams that are actually not operating as teams. There's a lack of trust. There's a lack of congruency in the way they, they do things. And it's also interesting because the problems that you explained that this team was going through would be very similar to teams a startup would go through, even a, a small business. So it's almost as if, even though we know what good teamwork looks like, when we look at what we're doing, we don't have a way of self-assessing where we are in that continuum. Because everything you said is perfectly logical, but when someone is not telling it to you, you don't automatically see that you're not doing it. Does that make sense? Yes, makes a lot of sense. It's very unusual because you even see that in management consulting, because we all have management consulting backgrounds here, and our CEO is a banker, but I have a lot of friends who are partners at McKinsey and you know all these great firms. Yeah. When they are advising a client, they're really good. I mean, they teach stuff about leadership development and strategy and operations and so on. But when I've seen them go out and start their own businesses, it's as if they forgot everything they have advised clients. Yeah. So the point I'm trying to make is that it's not enough to know these things. You've got to have someone who can help you put it into practice. Absolutely. So that that's, you know, the the job of a good coach is yes. to remind you about your dreams or about your objectives and to consistently hold you accountable to move towards that goal or objective. And as human beings, we get thrown off a lot of the time. We get triggered. We get upset. Yeah. Uh, we get uh, confused. We make assumptions. We think that a lot of different things that takes us off the hook or of our direction to towards our dreams. And, you know, somebody to hold you accountable is always important because holding ourselves accountable to ourselves does not work. 
Yeah, and especially the information or the or industries where information is power. Uh, one piece of feedback I get from a lot of clients is they'll tell me, but Michael, you've told me this before. I know this already. But the reason I'm telling them again and again and again is because first, they understand it, but that doesn't mean they've made it a part of their identity. And that doesn't mean they're using it to change their results. Right. It's not enough whether you know something, it's whether has your life materially changed because you know it. Right. Knowing something doesn't change it. You know, it's I mean, you, you, you've done this a million but... times, right? You work with obviously very smart people. We all work with smart people, capable people who know what we're telling them, but they haven't yeah. built the systems and processes to make this a part of their life so they get the result from it. Yes, exactly. So you, the, the key is like when you know something or even when you don't know something, you need to go fight, learn about it. And, and that's the, the conversation I had about what doesn't work about me is that I need to know it. And then if I know it and I don't put it into action, nothing is changing. So I need to find a way to put it into action or into physical integrity so if I know I, I need to lose weight, I better get on a diet and start working out so I can <laughs> lose weight, not just say, hey, I know I'm, I know I'm fat. It's okay. Yes. You got to get into action. action. Action is the last piece before results. Immersive, repetitive action. Yeah. And coming back to a very good point you made earlier about why do people get caught up into the cycle of thinking they have to kill themselves by working is because they follow a role model, but what I find is people follow the wrong things about a role model. If you want to truly role model someone, you've got to first understand their belief system. What questions do they ask about the world? What questions do they ask about themselves? That's a starting point, right? You've got to know their belief system. Second, yeah. you've got to understand their focus. And third, you've got to understand what physical things do they do to get the results that they're getting. Too often, we just take a soundbite of what our role model is but we don't really understand what drives them and how they are making those decisions. Yeah, that's right. So one of the best window into your brain is what we call your inner dialogue, what you say all the time. And people, again, as I said before, people hear or just a little piece of what part of what they actually are saying all the time. Yeah. We have an exercise in Handel to that we put people on uh, capturing their their thoughts and listening to what they're saying. And mostly what we do about it, because you can't capture all your thoughts, but so we, we do it on on inner dialogue. Why not negative inner dialogue, negative thoughts. Why negative is because the negative is are the one that actually hold you back, not the positive. If you say to yourself, I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That keeps saying that because that creates a reality for you that, that is allowed for growth. But if you say to yourself, I'm not good enough, I can't make it, yeah. or I'm not going to be successful, or uh, even not about yourself, about the world or about other people, then that is going to get you out of your, out of the taking the right actions. So your inner dialogue is the power. It's really the engine that runs you. It's what makes all the decisions. And most of us are completely blind to what we say to ourselves, completely. And 
if you start tracking it and writing it down, you will be amazed. And the good thing about that is it will provide you with two things. One, it will really show you the reality that you have about yourself and the world, what's real for you. And it will also lead to you understanding your your beliefs and theories. What do you believe and what are your theories about the world? Because if you're driving down the road and you're saying to yourself, oh, tomorrow is going to be awful. I have that awful meeting with that awful person. You can immediately see that what theory you have about the meeting, about tomorrow, about that person. And that should give you, make an, show you, give you an indicator of what gets in your way. Make sense? Negative in a dialogue is extremely powerful and we need to get to know it. Yeah, this makes perfect sense. I mean, I'd probably use a different word than inner, than inner dialogue. I'd say your state of mind is maybe the okay. word I would just say. It's the same thing. But what you say is true because, you know, the trick I give, that I make clients follow to, to show them the power of their state is I, is I do an exercise with them where I ask them to discuss some difficult problem they're facing and, and we talk about it. And then I ask them to tell me what their favorite music is something that really mm-hmm. makes them happy and energized and we play that. And then I do the same exercise with them, asking the same questions. And what they don't realize is that music can alter your state. Mm-hmm. And the way you think about a problem and the way you approach a problem is very different in an altered state. Mm-hmm. But you can't explain that to them with theory. You have to show it to them. Yeah, got it. That's great. It's and a it very interesting well? thing. Yeah, but it's a simple thing because when you talk about state and inner dialogue, even though it makes sense to you and me and to many people, it's something you have to feel to actually know what the meaning is. And the way you get them to feel it is by journaling and writing it down, which is also a very good technique. But sometimes, you know, I use music, which I find works better for me personally anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, this- music takes people into different domains, right? So it's yes. not the, you know, it changes their inner dialogue, right? It changes what they say to yourself. You know, I just had a conversation with somebody today who says she, you know, told me about music she puts in and then yes. how it gets her to cry because of, you know, it reminds her something, right? So yes. it's, uh, it does, but because it, it changes everything in your head, right? It changes everything. Yeah. And, but, but this is the point you're making, which I want to reemphasize is you need to be aware of the state you're in to decide yeah. if you want to be in that state and you need to manage your state. Don't let your state manage you. Yeah. And you are right. Most people don't know the power of state and therefore they don't even know they need to be assessing their state and managing it and nurturing it. And they don't even know that you have to have different states when you approach different problems and you need to be able to control which one you turn on and off. Yeah, exactly. That's a bigger discussion, but thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for uh, doing the work you're doing. And uh, I hope uh, I hope it makes a difference. Same with you guys. I'm pretty sure we'll be in touch later. It looks like we have many similar things we're doing. So we definitely need to have a follow-up conversation at some point. Excellent. Thank you. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye, Michael. Bye-bye. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com.
It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.